0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back into to the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I am Steven Cerda. We'll get to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's show here in just a moment, but... As is the way it goes, immediately after we recorded the Arrowhead Pride editor show, a little while later, it was announced that the Kansas City Chiefs and defensive tackle Chris Jones have agreed on a new one year contract. Now, We don't have the numbers and the money and the incentives that were put into this new deal to get Chris Jones to report to the Chiefs facility, but good news for Chiefs fans is that they have come to some kind of agreement, and Chris Jones is expected to be back with the team this week. So his holdout is officially over, but no long-term deal in place, unfortunately, so he could still become a free agent after the season. He could possibly get franchise tagged by the Kansas City Chiefs. We don't know those things just yet. We'll see how this season plays out, but the positive is that his holdout is officially over and he will be joining the Kansas City Chiefs and hopefully be in good enough shape to suit up for them this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll have all the details for you at ArrowheadPride.com, and as we get the numbers and the details, of course, we'll have more for you right here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, but Until we have more information, uh, Chris Jones is joining the Kansas City Chiefs once again on a new reworked one-year contract. Here's Pete and John on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show.
1: And away we go! It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor in chief of ArrowheadPride.com. Joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. Uh, John, as we record here, Week One is almost complete. We're going to get into the Chiefs' 21 to 20 loss against the Detroit Lions. But John, we got a big game tonight, and it's two. AFC contenders do you think the Bills will win or do you think the Jets announce themselves as a contender and beat the Bills You know uh I this morning I was putting together the uh our our picks for
2: today's games all the contributors picks I'd forgotten that I'd picked the Jets in this game So <laughs> apparently I was flipping a coin when I made my choice so
1: since I don't remember <laughs> Yeah I I think for the first time in a long time, there's some real juice to this game. I don't think the Mm -hmm. Jets have felt that serious in a long time. And so we have a a pretty good game to wrap up week one. I I don't even remember what I picked on tally side. I've been going back and forth all day. I might end up changing it. I had a few late changes over the weekend that ended up being the right call. I changed the Browns money line at the last minute. I got that one right out of of nowhere. So uh, I might have to think about this one up until game time but this this is not a bills or chiefs podcast this is the arrowhead pride editor show as part of the arrowhead pride podcast network again the chiefs coming off that week one loss on last thursday so as we bring back john marinated takeaways in in today's episode these takeaways are especially marinated it's not that usual (laughs) 24-hour marination these have been marinating through the weekend and they're ready to hit the grill so to speak Uh, Well, I hope so, because otherwise we're going to look really bad. And I don't
2: like that. I just want to be on.
1: Yeah, that's a a good thought there, John. First, let's get into the reviews. If you leave us uh, a rating and a review, we'll read it right here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. First one from Chief of the Rockies. Great variety of focused podcasts and viewpoints on the Super Bowl champs. Appointment listening for sure. Shout out to Steve, who keeps it going and makes Pete and the team shine. Thank you for not overdoing it with too many ads, which can make a podcast unlistenable. Questions. How long does Mahomes play, and what's his realistic total Super Bowl victory goal uh, now that he has two in his first five years? Can he keep us uh, at a 40% championship win rate? <laughs> he starts for 20 years. That's eight championships knocking off Brady. What percent of a, of a chance do you give that? I think Patrick Mahomes is really special. I think that when you're talking about potentially winning eight championships Uh, a lot is going to have to do with the rest of the team and so it's a little bit hard to i think put patrick in a vacuum we do know john because we've done a couple articles about this over the years that he wants to take the brady path so he does want to play into his 40s should his body end up letting him so that at least would buy him the time should the chiefs uh, remain competitive right now he is 27 so quick math tells me that's another 18 seasons of patrick mahomes i tend to think he he gets close and if i i think if he can get in the range of four to five championships he at least enters the conversation you're right though i I think he would need eight for a slam dunk this is the best quarterback Mm -hmm. ever just because in america it seems like we're always defined by championships
2: you know i'd just make this point too i i i get tired of people talking about uh tom brady's uh wife making all this money and therefore he was willing Mm. to take cheaper contracts with the Patriots. I get tired of that because first of all, I don't really believe it. I I think it's just something that people throw out there because it seems to make sense, but I'll just point this out. I think there's a pretty good chance that Brittany Mahomes is going to be pretty rich on her own right. Mm. And uh, you know, as, as the owner of uh, a significant owner uh, participant in that soccer team, And um, uh, so, I, you know, maybe that's what's going to happen with Patrick Mahomes, too. There's going to come a point where he doesn't really care about money. So I'll just go along with that argument and, and say Brittany might do the same thing.
1: Not that we get into too many personal lives in this show, but now she's an ex-wife for Tom Brady. So all right, that, all right. those years of of saying, "Oh, look at look at his his wife and what she's providing him." I, we don't know the details of their divorce, but I, I imagine there had to be some kind of prenup. So now he's got his own money, but it seems like he has plenty. He's owning a couple teams, which, including which reminds
2: me, I, I never knew until this weekend that that Bill Belichick had a girlfriend.
1: Did you mm. know that? I didn't know that. I could yeah. never even. <laughs> When when you're that successful, the ladies flock, and uh, Bill Bill is uh, someone by his side there. All right, let's get to the next review. Uh, Amazing show! Thanks to Pete and John for an awesome show. Also thanks to Serta. I like the. Great British Chiefs show, too, but the editor's show is insightful and sometimes funny. <laughs> I agree with Pete about the O-line, <laughs> uh, even if others don't. And wonder if you can give us a top 46, maybe put it on the website after the 53 is announced. Uh, who you who would dress? I guess this review came before. Who would dress in week one against the Lions? Thanks, and as always, uh, go Chiefs. John, as you have said a, a number of times, it's not necessarily a 46 man anymore. Mm-hmm. You, you actually... Told me that at the beginning of this year. Can you very briefly just explain that this is a a number that is subject to change just to pay, based upon how you uh, build your forty six your game day roster?
2: That's right. Uh, they increased the limit from forty six to forty seven with mm-hmm. the twenty twenty CBA, and I think in most cases teams will dress forty seven players. I believe the Chiefs dressed forty seven on Thursday, as a matter of fact. Right. But if you have eight offensive linemen dressing you can have one more you can have 48 Mm -hmm. so that's basically designed to to allow teams to dress one more offensive lineman so that they're out there with more than seven guys like the chiefs did on thursday um but i i never have done an analysis of it to see how often it happens but that's the rule
1: that would be that would take a a lot of time that that seems like an off-season project by the way that yeah came from saul guy 32 so i hope you learned something from our our expert here john dixon teaching you about the 46 man roster um all right last one i love all the shows on the ap network pete's always asking for reviews and i've been procrastinating since last (laughs) season i can't say i have a favorite show as they are all amazing i check my phone daily for the podcast feed for That day's show to come out As a Big Cheese fan I love the analysis and the humor on all the shows Uh, If the most entertaining set of podcasts uh, I listen to, keep up the great work Thank you for that, no question there So, uh, appreciate all the reviews As we've said, if you leave us a review On Apple iTunes And especially if you leave us five stars uh, We will read it on the Arrowhead Pride Editor show We encourage you to leave reviews All all the time, it it helps us uh, Get more listeners, like yourself uh, as, As you take in this program all right, uh, we are going to go right to the sound here. Uh, here's here's what we're doing on this show over the next hour or so. We're going to talk about the Travis Kelsey injury because it seems to be the biggest thing happening right now in the walls of the Chiefs' kingdom. We'll go through the three big quotes from Andy Reid from the press conferences. You can always get that uh, full press conference on From the Podium, but we'll, we'll take in the, the three biggest ones here. We have our world-famous marinated takeaways coming up uh, after the break, and then we'll Go through a quick round uh, round through of the the news that that happened over the past week or two since we last had an editor show we we didn't have one last week so it's good to be back with you today but there was uh, as the Chiefs were off on Sunday enjoying um, maybe not enjoying because you're coming off a loss but taking in their mini buy there was an update to tight end Travis Kelsey who did not end up playing because of that hyper extended knee this was from Fox Sports's Jay Glazer.
3: Well, actually don't know how big of a bullet they missed on Travis Kelsey when it first happened. They actually thought there was a tibial plateau fracture, which is a fracture in the leg. Would have put him out for the year. Instead, he just had a really deep bone bruise. They had to pull out 45 cc's of blood. Now, yesterday, they actually put him in a stance and wanted to see if it swelled after. They were good. Today, as we speak, he's at the facility working on the muscles around it. That test is passing as well. Tomorrow, they're going to try and run him. As long as it doesn't swell, he'll play next week.
1: I don't know if we play next week, Jay. Appreciate the update, but if there was any kind of fluid removed from the knee, I feel like that, uh, to me, is an indication that they could be cautious again. Since so this has happened, I've kind of been saying week three uh, feels like a definite. I, I'm, I'm still a, I'm still feeling like it might be up in the air for week two. Not to say that I'm a medical expert. I, I know that he wanted to play on Thursday night, but if they're draining the knee and running all these tests. You wonder if they continue continue to be conservative. They certainly could use him against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I I see as a contender in the AFC. But I don't I don't think John that you want to necessarily push it and lose him for more extended time. I totally agree with that. I think that's
2: the I think we learned one thing on Thursday is that the team needs Travis Kelsey as it's now yeah. composed, and uh, so you want to do whatever it takes to get him back for the most games. And if that means he misses a couple of
1: early games, well, that's the way it has to be. Yeah. Uh, We won't really know more about this until Wednesday. Wednesday, John, is when we get that first first official injury update as we go into what is the Week 2 matchup of the Chiefs taking on the Jaguars. It, It does seem that if Kelsey is available and trending to play, meaning going to be off the injury report, he will speak to the media this week. So if you end up seeing Kelsey speak to the local media, then likely means uh, he's trending in the right direction to play on Sunday. But uh, I believe it's very much wait and see right now, even after that positive report from Jake lazer All right, let's get into head coach Andy Reid's Monday Zoom presser. Uh, I said it before, say it one more time. You can get the full presser on uh, from the podium, which is also available right here on the uh, Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. We're not going to play for you the answer to the, my question I asked about run blocking. I don't think uh, Andy particularly loved uh, the, me questioning how uh, the run blocking was doing, but we did get some other uh, good quotes. I, I thought from Reed. The first uh, on Kadarius Tony, who has been a target, an easy target. For fans across the league, after a three to four, depending on how you look at it, drop performance on Thursday night, here was Andy Reid on KT.
3: You know what, Adam? I I, I would probably take the blame on that. I mean, the kid. Uh, when I said that after the game, I, I meant that. I um, I, he listen. He missed all the training camp. Um, from from honestly, the first punt return. Uh, pre-practice on through. So he literally had no training camp um, until just the last few days when we got back here. He he did some and we measured that. We we didn't give him a lot. Uh, but with that, I thought him getting in the game was important to be fair. You know, I've got to kind of look in the mirror on that one. Uh, that I probably didn't put him in the best position there because uh, he doesn't drop the ball. I mean, that's just not his deal. He's He's a very, very secure catcher. And I just think that uh, the only way we're going to get him back is is playing him. I think this week will be different than than the last week. But I thought it was important that he got in the game, got caught up on the speed. Um, but I I probably put him in bad positions, were in primary positions there, and especially later in the game. You know, he's still getting his legs back and all that. Bit. So, and are there things you need to do with him to kind of get him back on that path to get him? At, have yeah, him I right think. Back? Listen, I think he's had some time here now to keep keep working, which I think will benefit him. Um, mm-hmm. You know, getting in that game, I thought was an important thing. I mean, that part was important. Putting him in the positions I did, I probably shouldn't have done that. Um, But I think you'll see better as we go down the road here um, from him.
1: So it sounds like uh, Andy Reid doesn't regret necessarily playing Tony, but putting him in what would be the first read on plays for Patrick Mahomes. And even though he was able to garner the separation, which we've become used to seeing from him, just not ready to, be thrown into the fire so to speak and i guess reed is self-scouting himself a little bit john because you know when you have and keep seven receivers maybe it's better to play the six guys that were actually in training camp than tony but kudos to reed for understanding that and and admitting it i think sometimes he does just take the blame to shake off the question but he explained why uh for a long long period there and i think maybe they felt like they should have eased tony more back in
2: I think a lot of this has to do with Kelsey's absence, too. I think that Mm -hmm. if Kelsey is available for that game on Thursday, they don't feel they need Tony quite as much. And they might not have felt as much pressure to put him on the field and maybe would have been more inclined to limit him more than they did. Uh, I discovered this morning when I was working on the snap counts, uh, you know, they listed Tony as a starter in the game. But uh, actually, Richie James and Rasheed Rice both had more snaps than he did in the game. So uh, he was kind of a starter in name only during this game. So they were trying to hold him back some. um, But I I think they would have held him back more and used him strictly as as an occasional player if Kelsey had been available.
1: Yeah, and that's also why you know at least for this season while kelsey's still on the roster and expected to be a major contributor it's tough to really judge the chief's offense on the first game because not having a player like travis drastically mm-hmm. changes yeah the outlook and the attention that different players get and it's not only not having him it also could have been a lot different if say the injury had occurred over the weekend prior to starting to practice the game plan I when it happens, the last day of practice, you kind of have to just roll with the game plan that you had. And right. uh, the Chiefs got caught there. Uh, and I'll have more uh, in in marinated takeaways. I got some negative marinated takeaways to do today. I got one positive one positive and two negative. So stay Ooh, tuned for that as we wow. go. Let's keep wow. it on the topic of, of seven receivers, though. Uh, and Andy asked about wide receivers in general. It, it seems a little unrealistic to expect that all seven receivers are going to be able to contribute this year. Uh, and the, Andy Reid was asked if he's looking for three or four guys to to step forward and and maybe take the bulk of the snaps. Here was his answer:
3: Yeah, we've got the three guys that have been here, and they they end up doing you know probably the best in the game. Um, and then we've got three younger guys uh, that we've got to bring along. And uh, then you have James, who's been in a form of this, but and then is really tied into the special teams too. So uh, I think those three, the three younger guys, whether it's four eight you know 19 they're all kind of new in this and learning uh, in games and as much as we think Kadarius is a seasoned veteran he hasn't really played a lot so um, but I think you'll see growth from them as we go. We'll just see how that how that continues uh, to work you know but eventually you'd love them all to uh, be you know where, where we want them so and then if they separate they separate well however that works it works but I can't predict that part.
1: It seems like the running back room of last year, where uh, Isaiah Pacheco was involved, but he wasn't the starter. And then you got to the middle of the year, and then Pacheco was named the starter and was ended up you know, getting more touches as, as you go. I think the start here, as Reed said, it, it's still going to be Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, and Justin Watson, because they're way familiar with the offense, and the other guys kind of need to grow into bigger roles. I thought of the receivers that played last game, and, and especially the young receivers, Rasheed Rice, Look the part. I wonder if he ended up earning some more snaps in one of those top three roles uh, as you go here. But uh, but again, I, I think it's going to be some self scouting, some self evaluation, and seeing if one of these younger receivers can not only play their way into a role, but understand the playbook enough to a point where Andy re trusts them to go. And that's just another John wait and see type of deal.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting that he mentioned Ross as, excuse me, uh, Watson as uh, someone who uh, they would depend upon because he's one of the veterans. He actually was right there with Tony in the number of snaps he had in this game. He was at 26% also along with Tony.
1: Yeah,
2: Uh, So I find that kind of interesting. But, you know, it's not unusual for the team to have a plan. To you know, use this receiver, this amount, this receiver, this amount, and so on, and then for it to play out a little bit differently during the course of the game, and that may be what happened there.
1: Yeah, it looks like they used a, a lot of these twelve, these two wide receiver sets, and it has always been since training camp began. Sky Moore and Marquez Valdez Scantling. So, right, uh, you know, you got Justin Watson kind of next there, as you were mentioning with uh Tony and, and Rice, and in, in that second type of tier, you know, at this stage. Moore had, a, Moore had a tough evening, and you know, I, I think a lot had, had to do, again, with, with Kelsey not being there. I feel like Moore's night's completely different if Travis Kelsey's draw, drawing the usual attention and opening up the field as much as he, he, he does on a regular basis. But we will see if Moore can rebound in next game, three targets, no uh, catches, only the four rushing yards for Sky Moore. All right, last point from Reed uh, in our our little glimpse here at the press conference. Uh, this was a, a hot topic uh, among fans, I think because Chris Collinsworth just couldn't stop talking about it. The <laughs> jump step uh, from <laughs> Jawan Taylor uh, of getting a, a little bit of an edge on the opposing defensive line by jumping the snap a little bit. Here were Reed's words.
3: Yeah, so he works on that uh, hard. We, You know, we, he gets it pretty close at times and sometimes too fast. And so uh, we've just got to we have got to make sure it's not too fast because then that hurts. Obviously, hurts the team. So, but he he uh, he takes a lot of pride in that and, and works very hard at that to try to make sure that um, he gets off well. And you know, you you watch the rest of the games this this weekend. I mean, that's uh, with these defensive ends and the way they they can roll that that helps you get into position. You know, a tick quicker and and that. But you don't want to be offsides. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I just wonder about this going into this weekend because you could bet a lot of the referees across the league were watching Thursday Night Football just like everybody else, and it, it was a national game. They couldn't stop talking about it, and now you have his former team. I think I would mentioned this on the Arrowhead Pride Report, but his former team, uh, you know, where he spent the beginning of his career, knows that he, he tends to to – push it a, a little bit if you want to say push to the snap a little bit uh the the, the jaguars are going to be in the ref's ear early so i think he's going to have to be even slightly better at this next week to avoid a, a false start he ended up taking a false start at the end of this game only the one on the night uh they would have liked to see him called for more but only the one on the night john
2: yeah i there's a couple of things about this i i didn't watch a lot of uh game action yesterday i watched the red zone for I don't know, an hour or so yesterday afternoon towards the end of the late afternoon games because there were a lot of interesting games coming to interesting conclusions there. And I noticed that there were more than a few offensive linemen who were uh, pushing the envelope here, lining up back away from the line in order to get an extra step on the on the pass rusher. Uh, so Taylor's not the only guy who's doing it. But I also think it's important for us to recognize that the angle from which we see most of the play in the game is not the angle where you can really judge whether he's in the mm-hmm. right spot or not, and they have officials on the field who are in exactly the right spot to tell whether he's in, you know, in a position that he should be in. Uh, so I, I think we need to try and avoid second-guessing those guys, too, those line judges, too much because uh, I think it's pretty easy to misread the situation from uh, an above and behind or ahead angle, which is what we usually get on the TV.
1: Well, yeah. And then especially with, with all those, you know, a hundred to 200 rabid Jags fans, if if they exist <laughs> uh, screaming this week, he's going to have to be uh, even better. So I, I yeah. think it is something to yeah. watch heading into this game. Sure. I, I, yeah. I do think they're going to be a little bit stingier. So, we will see how it goes for the right tackle. Again, uh, I'll mention it one last time. You can get that full press conference right now on from the podium right here on the Airhead Pride Podcast Network. When we come back, the moment you've been waiting, I, I know you've been waiting since February for this. It is the world-famous Marinated Takeaways. Stay with us.
0: Well, I'm going to let this marinate. You know, let that one marinate, and then we can circle back. Adapt. React. Readapt. It
1: takes time. It takes years. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor show. I said before the break. I know you've been waiting for these. You They've been marinating all offseason, these, these takeaways. And, and finally, we get a game, and they have the, the four days of marination, particularly in this game. It's a, a tough loss for Kansas City. A tough loss, a 21-20 to 20 loss in front of the world on opening night. John, I know you've been thinking about this game the, these past few days. What jumped out in your mind? We'll start with you. Um, I thought it was
2: interesting. Most of mine seemed to be focused on what we assumed ahead of time and compared to what actually happened. And on this one, I I think a lot of people were expecting the Chiefs to run the ball more uh, with Travis Kelsey out. I think people figured, well, the Chiefs, you know, they've got this great interior offensive line. They've got these two tackles who are pretty good. We're going to see him run the ball more, so they have to depend on Travis Kelsey's uh, replacement quite so much. And they didn't. Uh, They ran almost exactly the same percentage of running plays as they did all of last year in this game. So uh, they really just did what they normally do, at least in that respect. Um, And, uh, you know, we always come into these situations where you think well Andy Reid's going to run the ball more in this game and he never does maybe we should just stop predicting that
1: (laughs) well I had alluded to it and you'll hear it on from the podium if you go back and listen but the run blocking was not especially good uh, in this game I felt like the defensive lines push uh, from the Lions was not allowing uh, the Chiefs to really operate in that fashion and Andy Reid doesn't need much convincing to give up on the run game, and so I think you you saw a little bit of that. We'll have to see if it can get more in a groove. You know, I've said it so many times before, but it seems like the offense, even from a passing standpoint, is cooking a lot better when they can seemingly get early runs and early gains. It feels like it really opens things up, and you certainly didn't see that in this game with the offense stalling and really, I guess, a sluggish first quarter that ended up seeing the Lions take an early 7-0 lead that the Chiefs had to kind of battle back from and so yeah i'm with you i i like to see the chiefs use the run game and not really forget about it but i i feel like we're always talking about the same thing in that regard all right i'll go to my first marinade to take takeaway and this is i have i have three i have a more positive one and, and two kind of on the negative side so let, let's start with some positivity here on on monday all i think right. the chiefs played here uh, I think they probably win it seven out of ten times, maybe eight out of ten. They made so many mistakes in this game. Think about mm-hmm. all the drops. Those can be one mistake each. Think about the questionable play calling. Like, I, I, As much as Andy Reid thought the, the handoff from Blake Belder or She Rice was a good idea, I bet you he wish, wishes he could have called something else in that position. He ended up having to go for it on 4th and 25. What if you take that shot when it's 4th and 2? And I know that Jared, uh, on our new product, that Arrowhead Pride Premier, he mentioned that the turning point in this game was them not going for it on 4th and 2 and instead kicking the field goal, going up 6 uh, as opposed to what could have been 10. And then it's an entirely different game uh, in that sense. I think there were a number of problems with the protection, as I mentioned, a number of problems with the run blocking. The defense certainly made mistakes pretty nice night for the defense but i, I think there were certain times that they wish they could have had something back there what i'm saying by by outlining all these mistakes is if one to two of these go in a different direction the chiefs win and i just feel like they were a better team but a lot of stuff went wrong and it reminded me less of a game in which like a bangles or a bills comes in and and takes it from you as we've seen in the past with the chiefs playing and competing it was more to me of like that Colts game last year where it was just like a complete disaster and the unfortunate thing is that it happened in the first game so now the Chiefs are staring at a less than 500 record but I I know it sounds crazy but I I do think they win at a a 10 times if if we lived in a simulation John I I got them at 7 or 8 out of 10 in winning this game
2: who says we don't live in a simulation? I don't know That's what you're true. talking. I don't know what you're Completely talking true. about there, Pete. Goodness That's gracious! Right. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you're exactly right. I, I must have said a hundred times over the weekend after the game, uh, to, when people would ask me about it, and of course that happens. I'm sure it happens to you too. That everybody you know asks you about stuff yeah. like this after a game, um, and I said many, many times, if you told me the Chiefs would have given up 14 points to the jet to the lions offense in this game, which is what they did. Mm. Uh, the chiefs would have won this going away. Uh, you just don't expect that the offense is going to have as many problems as it did. And you're going to, you don't expect there's going to be all those drops and any one of those plays going a different direction. Any one of those calls going a different way. I think Jared made a good point about that fourth and two situation. Um, you know, the chiefs win this game and, and, and they came pretty close to winning it the way it was. Uh, so, I think there was, it could have played out much differently. And we're talk, we talk, talking about it a lot differently now with just one or two things being slightly different.
1: Yeah. And I don't think you would have felt great about the way they played, no matter what. Like, let's sure. say they were just yeah. able to like gut it out and right. win this game by, it would have ended up being by two points against the Lions. I, I think that you just would, would be. Writing it off and saying, "Well, Kadarius was rusty. Travis was out. You know, at least we won ugly." And you wouldn't even be thinking about this game all that much, but not what, not how it played out. And now, now you're you're seeing a little bit of that classic Kansas City panic mode heading into week two. It's a pretty good Jags team, like I said. I I'm I'm intrigued about this game, and 0 2 is not uh, out of the realm of possibility now. But I I just like I said, I go back to this week one game and again more of a perfect storm than a sign of like the chiefs are suddenly not yeah. a playoff team right yeah like I'd,
2: ag- I'd agree with that yeah
1: more more like a perfect storm than a disaster yeah right yeah. all right uh john let's go to your second
2: uh marinated takeaway here well another thing that we talked about a lot before the season began was uh, the situation with kickoffs and how dave tobe would respond to it and he talked about there being a lot of squib kicks uh, and he talked initially like the Chiefs were going to be very aggressive on kickoffs and return them even if they didn't have to uh, when it might be smarter not to return them. And in this game, there were nine kickoffs and every single one of them <laughs> was a kickoff through the through the end zone for a touchback. I did a, a quick, this isn't something you can look up real easily, but I, I mm-hmm. did a quick rough look up this morning. It looks like there were 33 returned kickoffs in the NFL, uh, up, up through last, last night. And, uh, that's on 145 kickoffs. So that's 23% returned last year in week one, there were 155 kickoffs, 47 of which were returned for 30%. So the number of returned kickoffs has dropped about, Oh, you know, maybe close to half um, of what it was. Uh, no, no, that's not really the way to put it. That would be 30% to 23%. That's maybe a third uh, mm-hmm. of what it was the year before or two thirds of what it was the year before. So, you know, a decrease, but not, uh, not a huge number. Uh, you know, Tobe always says that uh, Butker can kick it out of the end zone at will. And that certainly seemed to be the case over this weekend, and I and I I would guess that most NFL uh, place kickers can do that as well. So maybe we're just going to see a lot of uh, uh, touchbacks this year. Maybe that's the way it's going to play out. We'll just have to see.
1: I still think the end uh, the end of this next year is going to be the XFL kick- kickoff coming to the yeah. league because I think they still want to have that play. You're seeing now uh, what's going to happen with with folks just kicking the ball out of the end zone and kind of eliminating it and it seems like a much safer solution so we'll see how it goes but i just think this will be a one-year issue or problem failed test that ends up changing the kickoff pretty significantly but at least it'll keep it in the game which i think is a a very yeah. exciting part of the game that you you don't really want to lose okay yeah. my, my my next mariner takeaway. Uh, again, picking on the Chiefs a little bit here, but we mentioned Andy Reid and you actually just heard Andy Reid explaining that it was on him that the Chiefs used Kadarius Tony. I'll extend that to the defensive side. What was LeJarius Sneed doing in this game? He was not ready. Uh, he just didn't look like the player uh, that we uh, are, are typically used to seeing. Uh, he, like Tony, essentially missed all of training camp as he was dealing with, with knee swelling. He ended up having four missed tackles uh, in this game. His coverage uh, was uh, not great; one of the worst coverage ga- grades from PFF um, on the team. And uh, I just, I think he was thrown into the fire. And much like Kadarius on the other side, um, probably shouldn't have been in the game. And I'm, I'm going into to your part of part of this, John, because you do our snap counts. Jalen Watson didn't even really play and you know not not to say that the defense suffered too much because of it because as you eloquently mentioned john they only ended up giving up 14 points but is if a healthy player is, is playing in place of Sneed, is it seven is it zero do things go differently i just i wonder about rushing sneed back uh as well
2: well he was one of the magic four You know, uh, if Steve Spagnuolo is doing the defense the way he wants it to, there's four guys who are on the the field for every snap, and he was one of them. So the Chiefs didn't feel that they needed to hold him back any, or they would have. But instead, they had him out there for every snap, and he doesn't seem to have held up his end of the bargain there. Uh, And and I'm not, you know, making that as a complaint against the guy. He's he's injured. You know, he's not at 100%. It's not his fault. But um, I'll agree with you that maybe they should have uh, maybe given Jalen Watson some time because he had no defensive snaps. All of his work was on special teams. Um, and so that was kind of a surprise to me that, uh, that they could they could, he, you know, they, they couldn't put Watson, him out there
1: for a while. <laughs> so I don't know what's and, and I'll just extend this point. I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but one snap on defense uh, after really being one of the go-to players for the chiefs last year, you watched the chiefs try to look at Nazi Johnson early on in training camp before he tore his ACL almost as a starter. And then as you went on here, they would rather Shamari Connor, who you saw inside a couple times play the nickel than even really considering Jalen Watson to even come in the game. So his, his fall from grace has happened fast and you Ah, uh, got to talk to Dave Merritt, the defensive backs coach and Steve Spagnuolo during training camp, and they were sort of alluding to first year players, now second year players, taking a step back. I think we're seeing which second year player they were referring to in those ominous quotes. And I don't know if Sneed is is like if Sneed is a hundred percent and ready to go, he's one of the better players on the team. It just didn't seem like he had his mm-hmm. feet under him. Same thing right. that you could say right. about Tony. So I just I don't know. I wonder about that call. The, the the Chiefs have had some unfortunate circumstances when it comes to injuries both during training camp and obviously with Kelsey this week that you weren't expecting. So I think it really certainly played into that a, a, as well. All right, John, let's go. To your final marinated takeaway.
2: Uh yeah, another thing that we always talk about uh, going into the regular season is is Dave Tobes' influence on the roster. Mr. And, Dave, yeah. Uncle yeah, Dave. and and we uh we don't always know Uh, looking at it from the outside at the time that the initial roster release. But by the time the season starts and you can see which players are out there on special team snaps, you can kind of see which ones are on the roster because of Uncle Dave's influence. And this year it looks like it's Cam Jones and Jack Cochran, two linebackers. Those guys are out there uh, not getting defensive snaps at all. But are playing uh, outsized roles on special teams. In fact, four of the nine top special teams players are linebackers. Uh, They we've got Jones and Cochran, and also uh, Leo Chanel. And uh, I'm not thinking of the other fellow's name now. I have to look on the on my chart so I know. Um, uh, All the way down to special teams, John Um, Chanel. Oh, uh, Tranquil. Tranquil. Tranquil is the fourth one. Right. Yeah. Okay. And um, uh, he didn't get a lot of spe- uh, snaps on defense, but uh, but Chanel did. And he actually got quite a bit of snaps uh, on the whole because of that, getting defensive contributions and also a lot on special teams. But Cochran and uh, and Jones are the two that are
1: who made the team basically on special teams. Yeah, well, we were stunned that they kept so many linebackers. It ended up being six uh, at Uh the deadline. And and we thought also, too, in transactions to follow that, it would wind up up probably being Jones that went back down. But it wasn't. And, you know, they just ended up keeping the six. And I think you're right. I think a big part of that was special teams. All right, I'm getting to my final marinated takeaway. And, uh, again, uh, two negative ones here with the one positive one. The Chiefs maybe, and I'm just asking the question here, like, did the chiefs maybe make a mistake by not taking a tight end in this tight end, heavy draft um, that, that life after Travis Kelsey doesn't look so rosy at this stage. I think we expect a little bit more from Noah Gray. I think he, he did all right. I, I think it's a tough position to be in to fill the shoes of, of Travis Kelsey. Uh, but it, it does seem like he, John is a, a better fit for that blocking tight end, that number two guy. Whereas you're, you got a glimpse there to life after Kelsey and it wasn't, wasn't great uh, with, with, with what I think you need out of the position in this offense. And I know that you needed uh, several other positions. I know the chiefs ended up getting Felix and Aduke Izama, who, by the way, had a really nice first game. I think mm-hmm. you saw he did. some promising yeah. signs from him. I just wonder, you know, as the chiefs are right there and I, I know they had toyed with maybe trading back, whatever like that. But then, in the second round, right after they pick, you see Sam LaPorter, Michael Mayer, Luke Musgrave go off the board, uh, Luke Shoemaker later in the round. And granted, it's week one, and we'll see if those guys pan out. Not to say that everyone's going to be necessarily a Travis Kelsey slam dunk. But I wonder if in the future years here that uh, you start to maybe see the Chiefs considering taking uh, what would be a, a tight end uh, in one of these top, top premium rounds, just because I think you want to get that guy into place uh, prior to Travis Kelsey getting too old and, and maybe teetering with that retirement decision.
2: Well, I, you know, I think that makes perfect sense. You know, what you're saying uh, rings a lot of bells just exactly the right way. But I would always point out that one thing that Andy Reid does well is make use of the players that are available to, the, to him at a given time. Right. And I'm not sure that he necessarily has to have uh, a top quality tight end who has a big role as a receiver on a team. I think there's a lot of ways that he could do it, having a tight end being just one of them. And I would wonder if uh, what ends up happening is that the Chiefs change their focus a little bit as a uh, tight end as as Travis Kelsey moves on, you know, starts making his way out of the league, which he's going to do sometime in the next few years. Um, so I, I don't know that it necessarily requires the team to find another tight end like him. Certainly they could do that and uh, have a player like Kelsey and, and perform in the same kind of role, but maybe they'll just end up doing it some other way. It's entirely possible with Andy Reid. You just don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. I I just, I think... The Chiefs tried to make it work on the fly, which didn't help them either, sure. right? They and, had 48 and, hours after realizing that there's a pretty good chance that Travis Kelsey is not going to play. But I, I, it's just such a useful guy, uh, such a useful weapon in the offense. Yeah. I, I just think you you would ideally, before he's not productive anymore, which who knows, maybe he's productive for another two to three years, but ideally get somebody into place that can he can take under his wing and is a little bit closer to what Kelsey can do than Gray, who again, There's just another solid number two tight end, but I think we learned that he's not going to be close to Kelsey in that reliable offensive weapon part the other night, which is sad. I mean, I, you, I think you, some of us thought, okay, let's see what Gray can do. I, I being one of them, I thought gray might be able to jump into the fire and give you something close to Kelsey, but it just was not the case uh, on on Thursday night. All right. uh, That's it for the world famous marinated takeaways. When we come back, we will, To a news roundup. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on. The Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. John, uh, even in a the loss, there was a little bit of good news when it came to the injury list. We mentioned it's wait and see on Travis Kelsey when it comes to week two. We'll get our first injury report of week two on Wednesday afternoon to start to get a little bit more clarity as to where uh, he stands. But the good news, John, was that there's no other injuries in this game. And I, I think that's always a, a good sign. And especially with the players that we're talking about, the players that will have to play well for the Chiefs to return to the Super Bowl in Kadarius Tony and Legarius need. They, as they get more comfortable, will have to play better as you go here. And I think no injuries in a 17 game season, even if even in a, a loss, is a very good sign moving forward to Week Two.
2: Oh man, I think that's a, a totally underrated <laughs> comment there. I mean, that has always been an underappreciated part of success in the NFL is uh, having depth in case you have injuries or not having injuries period so that your depth can, you know, take the season
1: off. <laughs> uh,
2: and so it's really always a good, a really good piece of news to come out of a game and not have any additional injuries. So that was, a, that was very, very welcome today.
1: John, I, I want to, bring up chris jones we we didn't have a podcast last week and Mm -hmm. there was this impromptu press conference which i thought was a little bit weird then we see him next to his 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 fellas there at the game in the stadium (laughs) when Sopranos. yeah (laughs) he's actually a member of uh, of the goodfellas that he's actually a (laughs) member of the The roster still, even though he's on the did not report list, he's not a member of the three man roster, but he's still within the organization. And I have never seen anything like that where a player understandably is in a contract negotiation. I I don't blame him completely for that. But to come to Arrowhead and watch the game there in a suite and they're panning to you every time there's a defensive problem and they're bringing you up on the broadcast and you can only control you can't really control what what you look like but it's just it almost looked cartoonish with very clearly these two big agents next to you that sort of <laughs> protecting you from talking to anybody else in the stadium like don't get any idea it's chris like that type of thing my colleague from from 41 Nick Jacobs mentioned that it, it that jones should blink twice if if he's being <laughs> taken hostage or something Completely bizarre. I don't think it helped his stance among fans to be in the building and to be watching the team after all the things that you've kind of said. Andy Reid did say during the press conference that the communication remains ongoing. But very clearly here, the Chiefs are dug in. And I don't think that they're budging. So as many impromptu press conferences that you want to do, as many games that you want to attend to as a fan with your pals eating popcorn, I don't think the chiefs are bending. I think they feel like they made a good offer and Chris Jones to watch that game at arrowhead was forfeiting 1.1 million dollars. I, I think I'm just at a loss when it comes to the strategy. It's weird. It's bizarre. You know, he says at this press conference, he doesn't want to be a distraction. If that's the case, man, go back to Miami and don't be put on the broadcast five or six times throughout the game. I, I am not blaming the player for wanting to make the most money possible, but this was just bizarre, and I I don't get the thought process anymore.
2: I don't either, and I think Chris Jones is a smart guy. Um, I think he's, you know, whatever's happening here, I think he's he's being advised to do it, and I think the advice he's getting is not very good. Uh, the press conference was not a good idea. They'd, they'd have been better off uh, just canceling the appearance altogether uh, late last week. They'd have been better off watching the game at home than appearing at Arrowhead. I think all he's done through these actions is to say things that have gotten people worked up. When he's just trying to express how he feels about it, which is perfectly fine. I get it. I, I, I'm with him. If he wants to make more money. You know, the the world is set up in such a way that you can hold out and ask for a contract extension and hold out in order to create leverage to get one. That's that's the way the world is set up. That's fine if that's what you want to do, Chris. But, you know, to say that it's the same as what other people do when they go in and ask for a raise, well, it's not. And it's not helping your cause to say so. And um, I think that those things are really... I I, I have to express that everybody I talked to about this over the weekend since the game is very, very unhappy with Chris Jones. And maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't care if the fans are alienated or angry or whatever. I think he should be. Um, but they're mad. That's my observation from this at this point.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to say this too. Like, there's such a thing as game flow. So, like, I know that the defense played well and only allowed 14 points, but, you know, if you're telling me that Chris Jones wouldn't have made a one-point difference, I think you're wrong yeah. about that. Like, I yeah. I think if Chris Jones is there, the, remember I said I, I think the Chiefs win seven or eight times out of ten? They probably win nine out of ten times if Chris Jones is playing in this game. Just because it's just a completely different feel. Their lines are probably shut down. Maybe that gives the offense a little bit more confidence and they're not playing as as with as much pressure on their back you know maybe there's a turnover that we didn't necessarily see because chris jones mm-hmm. wasn't there that reverses the entire game flow and, and fortune i like i said i know that the the defense played well which by the way doesn't help jones and and no and his no. stance at all um i know the defense played well but i just think if chris jones was playing the chiefs are one and know like i really feel that way i'm like 99 percent sure about that so whatever I, I guess that helps his cause in, in a way uh, and like I said I, I'll say it one more time I, I I appreciate the negotiation I appreciate that he wants to be paid and it sounds like close to the highest player at, at, at his position whatever I, I think there is a case to be made about that don't don't show up to any more games i don't I don't think it's helping your your st- your stance your your cause I, I don't think it's helping your team which is if you really care about that then don't be a distraction. Like if you want to say, I don't want to be a distraction, then maybe just then like don't be a distraction. Don't be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on here, John, uh, you went through the snap counts as we were getting ready to do this podcast. We mentioned the snap counts for Watson. We mentioned the wide receiver snap counts a little bit. Anything else stand out that that's worth mentioning here when it comes to snap counts out of this game?
2: Yeah, we touched on Noah Gray a little bit. Um, I was interested to see, how his usage compared to the way Travis Kelsey would be used. Last year, uh, Travis Kelsey averaged 79% uh, of the offensive snap counts. Noah Gray was on the field for 87% of the snap yeah. counts uh, on Thursday night. Uh, Kelsey exceeded that just one time in uh, 2022. So Noah Gray, Noah Gray certainly got the work in That we would normally see from Travis Kelsey, but you cannot say um, that Gray simply stepped into his shoes. He was on the field more often on passing plays, just like Kelsey is. But last year, uh, Kelsey was targeted on almost 18 percent of his snaps. And on Thursday night, Gray was targeted on nine percent of his. Uh, Now, maybe that's because he wasn't open. Maybe that's because it doesn't have the same trust uh, with Patrick Mahomes that other receivers do, but he really did not step into Travis Kelsey's role in this game. Um, and you know, and as long as Kelsey is out, that's going to be a hole that that to fill some other way.
1: Yeah, I I think they were hoping that it was a little bit better, that it looked a little bit better, but maybe that there was a little bit more separation. Uh, just wasn't there uh, as I was alluding to before anything defensively that that stood out when it came to the snap counts for you, John.
2: Um, I was so, kind of surprised that uh, George Karloftis and Mike Dana uh, both had uh snap count percentages in the mid eighties uh, yeah. in this game. That's um, that's the kind of thing that you would get from uh, two strong starters and normally so, uh, I think that said a lot about what the Chiefs uh, think about those two guys. On the inside, uh, the two guys with the most snaps were <laughs> practice squad player elevated for the game, Matt Dickerson and Derek Noddy, but they were both under sixty percent. So there was a lot of rotation going on there with TerShawn Wharton and Keandre Coburn. But as usual, uh, you know, Steve Spagnuolo always has some edge players playing on the inside. Uh, on a significant number of snaps and that's who made up the difference on the inside so that part was much the same but i I was i was a little surprised to see karloftis and 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 dana get so much work i i might have guessed that uh and uzama would have gotten uh more snaps than he did but i i was pleased that he did as much with his one snap in three or one snap in four or whatever it ended up being Um,
1: Yeah, that's another positive that you could take away from the game, too. Yes. uh Once again, it's a one-game sample size. you got to be careful here. Uh, However, it does appear that Felix is going to maybe become a contributor far sooner than Karloftis did. Not to say he's necessarily going to go out there in Jacksonville and look the same. These young players develop in different ways. But at least it's a so far so good situation when it comes to Felix because the Chiefs need uh, outside pass rush, especially if Jones and his week eight thing is, is legit. Like it, what a, what a great sign that there's a a chance FAU could be a, like a day one contributor. So yeah, Mm -hmm. see what ends up happening when it comes uh, to the line and elsewhere. All right, John, we'll wrap up with this, Uh, the opening odds versus the Jacksonville Jaguars, just a a field goal difference. It looks like.
2: Yeah. uh, Kind of interesting. The last two times these teams have played, uh, it's been like, you know, nine plus points. <laughs> and the Chiefs won both of those games by seven and ten points. Uh, they didn't beat the spread one time and then did beat it the second time. Or, excuse me, it was the other way around the first time and not the second time in the divisional round. Um, and I think that's mostly about Travis Kelsey. We saw the, the line drop a couple of points um, when Kelsey got hurt last week. Um, I think people... Watched that game on national TV when there wasn't anything else to see and saw what the team looked like without Kelsey and came to some conclusions that may or may not be right. Right. (laughs) And uh, so that ends up uh, making the line drop down to a little less than a field goal. I think if Kelsey was playing, it'd be more like five, six points I would think, but we don't know whether he's going to play or not. And we'll just have to see how it plays out.
1: Yeah. I, I I wonder, I, 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 I feel like it, it was always going to be close, but I think you're right. If Travis Kelsey were healthy and let's say Chris Jones and this negotiation weren't going on, feels like it would be like four and a half to me, maybe even five and a half mm-hmm. as the Chiefs yeah. go down. But there's just so much uncertainty surrounding key players here. And I think the Jaguars looked pretty good uh, themselves in their game. I, I know they that they did. wasn't a completely blemish free game. It was, it was sloppy at times, with some turnovers and whatnot, but they – ended up gutting out a division game. You know, we know uh, how hard it is to, to win division games. So the Jaguars uh, will be playing a, a rematch of the playoffs, just like the Chiefs, and, and we'll see if uh, they can uh, end up upsetting the Chiefs because they are the underdogs, and we'll see if the Chiefs can cover that two-and-a-half point spread. I'm always eager to see what the movements of the line are at uh, on on actual game day as you get closer because that tends to, to tell you what the smartest bettors in Las Vegas are doing as those those late movements happen. Um, these odds of course are always brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, John, so that that's a that's a show right there. You know, we went through Andy Reid, we went through our world famous, we talked about snap counts and chris jones and we'll continue covering the chiefs right here on the arrowhead pride podcast network as we move forward if you leave us a review we'll read it at the beginning of this show doesn't even have to be a review you could ask us a question give us a comment we'll comment about that right here on the show we got a full lineup this week steve has you covered and thank you to john this has been another edition of the arrowhead pride editors show